So John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, the words of chapters 14, 15, 16, you remember, Jesus has left the upper room where he washed the disciples' feet. He's approaching Gethsemane. And now he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And in the hearing of his disciples, what we have is he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Who is this? Well, he says, Father, the hours come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. What we have is we're being allowed to listen in to conversation. The second person of the Trinity lifts up his voice to the Father. A mem I mean, you have to really think about this. A member of the Godhead prays and speaks to another member of the Godhead. It's, it's, I mean, yes, there are people out there who think this is crazy. But we recognize what the Bible teaches us. God speaks to God. The Father is called God. The Son is that Word which was with God and was God. God is what Thomas called him. God is speaking to God. We get to listen into the intimacy of Divine Father and Divine Son, the Son who had glory with this Father before the world. The hours come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified on you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory, in other words, the glory that he had in his Father's presence before the world existed. And so, before the world, there was this relationship before anything was created, before the world, the person speaking this prayer was. He's not the Father, but he has this glory that he had previous to the beginning of this world, that he had this glory alongside of his Father. That's clearly what he's speaking about there. And then eternal life, verse 3, state that there's no knowledge of God without a knowledge of Christ. You can't know anything about God. Not, not, look, you can look at the creation and know that there is a God. But when it comes to personally knowing who God is, what's being said here is that eternal life and the intimacy of, of knowing them, that the reality is that you can't know God without knowing Christ. There's no approach to God without an approach to Christ. You don't have eternal life if you don't have Christ. You don't have eternal life if you didn't get that eternal life from Christ. Why? Because he's the one that has authority over all the flesh to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given to Christ. That's what it says. And then, and then you have this, I glorified you on earth for 33 years. Jesus glorified the Father. How? Well, it says right there, having accomplished everything that the Father gave the Son to do. And now what's happened? He's come to his hour, the critical hour. And with his eyes lifted up to heaven, you see it here. He prays, Father, glorify your Son. What does that mean? Own me. Show that I'm, I mean, show me a smile. Show me a sign of your favor. Show, show re reveal that I'm doing everything that I'm doing to please you and show that you're actually pleased. And in this most intimate moment between Son and the Father, here's, here's what's happening. We're being allowed to listen in. That's what's so glorious about this. This is, this is, this is such a rare opportunity. Why? so that we might learn about our God. We might learn about the persons of the Godhead. We might learn something about how to pray. <clears throat> we might learn something about how God talks to God. So, here we are, verse 6. And this is where we're going to focus our attention today. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And... For their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, I have to tell you this. I was telling Abed the other day, this, this is, um, I find this extremely difficult to preach from. There is so much here. Like I say, you could, you can have a whole series. I mean, just, just, uh, Martin Lee Jones has a book that thick that probably has, I don't know, 40 chapters just in a book that, in a in a chapter that I want to do three sermons on, and there's a lot of things being said here, and it's almost like what makes it really difficult is how do you sort through it all to actually bring something out that can be simple, it can be useful. And so I, I guess I've broke it up into two main headings. The first is this: Who does Jesus pray for? Now, we just read it, and you, you have some idea, but I want you to see the descriptions in this portion of Scripture. Who does he pray for? And I want to start with, I think, what, I don't know how it is for all of you, what verse, maybe above all others, might have jumped out at you? I'll tell you the one that jumps out at me is verse 9. So let's go there. Because that really is where um, our question, who does Jesus pray for? Well, he says in verse 9, I'm praying for them. That's who he prays for, them. But who, who is them? Now notice this, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they. So you have them, those, they. Who is that? Who is the them? Okay, now I'm, I'm afraid that there can be a mindset. You know, sometimes when you talk to people and you ask them about how it is with their soul, they say, I go to church. You ever heard people respond like that? I've heard that. I go to church. I sing on the choir. But you, you see what they're doing? When we say, who is Jesus praying for? He's praying for them. And sometimes we can think them is everybody that's right here. This is them. And then he doesn't pray for the world. And so who's that? Well, that's everybody out there, right? But that, that would be the wrong way to think about this. Them. Them. Now, I, what I do want you to notice is this. Jesus does not pray for those who don't make up this group that's called them. So, there are people here that he's praying for, and there are people here that he's not praying for. This in itself is amazing to most people. Most people have this idea that Jesus regards everybody the same. That clearly is not the case. The world is not them, and them, they're not the world. Why? Because he prays for them, and he doesn't pray for the world. So I think it's important right here at the beginning because the term world's going to come up a lot here. What is the world? Okay, listen, listen to what Scripture says. When we are lost, you remember how Paul describes us? Dead 
in trespasses and sins. This means we can't go, we can't do anything but sin. Oh no, we're not as bad as we could be. We're not as bad as we can be. But man is basically dead spiritually by nature. That's the way he's born. He doesn't just come into that state. He's born into that state. And it says this, we follow the course of this world. That means the way the world is, it's the system of mankind demonically controlled. Why? Because the devil is the god of this world. That's what that's what Second Corinthians chapter 4 teaches, verse 4. The god of this world. So, you know what Jesus said? He said, whoever doesn't forsake all that they have can't be my disciple. You know who he's praying for? He's praying for his disciples. You know who's not of the world? The disciples. Those are the people that have forsaken all. They've surrendered to Christ. You know what? If you haven't fully surrendered, then you're not in the them. You're outside that group. There's two groups. There's two categories here. We just hate, we, he prays for one. He doesn't pray for the other. And so we need to recognize Jesus does not pray for the world. It, the ones he prays for are very an exclusive group. Very. So the question is this. Again, who is Jesus praying for? Okay, go to verse 6. We're going to develop this from the words here spoken in John 17. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Now, that's, that's key. Yours they were. Now, that's past tense. Now, have you ever found that when past tense is used with God, that, that it means forever? It means that it was, when you talk about what God is or what God does in the past, it's much like um, the word was God. That doesn't mean there was a starting point. Yours they were. As long as God's been God, doesn't Paul teach there's a people that God has foreknown do you know what foreknow means? It means there is a God, or there there is a God that has a people on his mind that he has bestowed his love upon in eternity past. Foreknow. No, is it, it it's like this is eternal life. To know this one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This this is it. That there's a people that God has set his love on and set his intimacy on in eternity past. And that's what we're dealing with here. As long as God's been God, he's had this chosen people, specifically, uniquely, especially. What are they? They're his. And we call them what? The elect. Why do we call them elect? Well, because God has elected them out of all the other people that are in the world. And you notice they're the elected ones. And you notice this, you gave them to me. Do you see that in verse six? You gave, there's, have you thought about this? There's giving and receiving in the Godhead. We, you know who he prays for? The given ones. Given to Christ out of the world. So, so we're the elected ones that are being prayed for. The given ones are the ones being prayed for. Notice this. Given to Jesus out of the world. And so remember what the world is. The world out there, we have these people dead in trespasses and sins that are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is also called the god of this world. I mean, basically the god of this world. You recognize this world is in the power of the evil one. He is in control. And what's happening is God has his people that he's always known, a people that were his own. And they're out there and they're being taken out of the world and given to Christ, put into his hands. That's the picture, out of the world, out of the world. There's a people among all the rest that don't fit. Do you recognize what this is saying? Out of the world. That means they're what when they're in the world? Well, they're not of the world. They're in the world, not of the world. That means they're aliens. They're strangers. They don't fit. Does that, does that describe you? Has God done something in your life? You know what it was like before? Oh, you could have your own thing. You could be into alcohol. You could be into watching movies. 
You could be into gossip. You could be into making lots of money and being popular and having fame and going after sex and going after running around with a bunch of friends and just living it up and pleasure. And you could be all into cars and you could be into sports and you could, you know what? Got different people have their different things, but but there's this course. There's a, you know how what a course is. Like a river has a course. There's a course of the world. We're all just kind of going in the same direction. We're all kind of selfish, and we got our idols, and we got the things that amuse us and the things we give our lives to. And you know what? Hands down, describes the world. We're not we're not very interested in what God wants and what God thinks. Our mentality is separate from Him. Our desires are separate from Him, and we're just going down that course, living living for ourselves, not really caring what God has said. And that's and that's the pool out of which these people are taken. That's the thing that's true of the Christian, not of the world. He was. He was, but he's not anymore. And what happened? God, but God. Isn't that what it says after you get done reading those verses in, in Ephesians 2? But God, what was happening? Oh, he was rich in mercy. And then what did he do? He plucked us out of that, full of mercy. And he's given us to Christ as a gift, handed us over to him out of the world. And this is exactly who Jesus is praying for here. There's a people that... that have been gifted to him, and that, that's, the, that's it. And he's not praying for the rest. And notice verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Our Lord just keeps repeating this because he wants to impress it upon us. Jesus is praying only for those sinners God has graciously chosen from among all of humanity who he's chosen not to condemn, but to be saved through his Son. And, you know, you know what the thing is? Why, why should you or me be a special object of, of God's kindness? Why should that happen? That he wouldn't condemn us. Because, because of this very truth, he's, he's put us in this separate position. He's separated us. God put these people there in this separate category. Brethren, do you recognize there is favorites? It's like a child that has a toy. You ever recognize this? My, my daughter, when she was like seven years old, I have a bookmark that she made when she was seven years old. And I can remember her, remember her running around with that little purse? I can remember her shooting down the hallway and she'd always have this little white and pink purse. That was her favorite. She took it wherever. And you know what? You can't get away from the fact God's got a favorite. God has a favorite. God has a people that he, he favoritizes and he hands over to his son as is an expression of his love. You just can't get away from that. A Christian is not of the world for one reason, because God put his love there. It all starts with the heart of the eternal himself. And listen, you have to recognize this. The Lord Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to make us God's people. You recognize that, right? We were God's people first, and God gave us to the Son, and he says to him, now these people I've given to you, go save them. Do everything that's necessary. They're mine. And I'm handing them over to you so that you can do whatever is necessary to save them. That's, that's the picture we have. Okay, go to verse 6 again. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And compare that with verse 8 because there's a, it's, it's similar. I have given them the words that you gave me. So he's saying this. I manifested God the Father, his name, who he is, to these he prays for. And he has given these people the words that God gave him. And these people he prays for received those words. And you can see from these verses, man's problem is ignorance. Jesus prays for those that he's let the sunlight shine upon. You know what? I can see. I used to, I used to hear this sermon on the internet that Bunyan preached, and he talked about this sunlit slope on a mountain. And you know what? When you come from Texas, there isn't anything really appealing in that imagery. Last thing you want to be in Texas is on some sunlit slope in the hill country with the sun cooking you. But you know, since I've been here, I can imagine 
Imagine, oh, Ruby and I have driven out into the peaks when the fog and the sky is dark and it's gloomy and it's dreary. And you know what this is a picture of? It's like God has allowed the clouds to part and the beams, the rays of sunshine come right down and fall upon a select people. You can imagine all of humanity across these mountains. And God allows those beams to come through and shine on a group of those people. That's basically what he's describing here. That's exactly the picture. You have, you have these people. What marks these people out from all other people is a revelation of God. You see the word manifest. What in the world does manifest mean? Do you know what that means? That means like guys like us who've been genuinely converted, we can go down there in the city center and do you recognize we are those people that stand in this sunlit place. We have had something manifested to us. God has said to us, let there be light in a way that other people, they stand there in the darkness. And you know what? The reason we know it so well, and especially if you've just recently been saved, you know what even, you know what happens when you're first saved? It's really stark to you. You recognize all the people around you and all the people that you used to work with that were lost and or your family and friends that are lost. You recognize all of a sudden how much they're in the dark because you've been delivered from it so recently. Do you know what happens? You're saved for 40 years. 30 years, 20 years, and you start to forget just how dark. But these are the people. These are the people that he prays for. They're the ones. And he says this, that the light, I, he says that light emanates from the words that God the Father gave to God the Son. Words that you gave me. And you know what he says about it? They received them. They received he says, you know what he's saying? When I spoke the Beatitudes, remember remember when you go to Matthew chapter 5 and he was speaking the Beatitudes and it said specifically that those disciples, that there was a crowd, but the disciples, they were right there in the front row. And you know what? Those guys are sitting there and it's like those beams, they're out in this dark, dreary land and those beams shoot through and they shine on those guys. Oh, there may have been a few other guys back there too, but, but it's very select. And he's saying, hey, these are the ones that I pray for, the ones that have had this kind of, you know, you know what was happening? He's preaching on the Beatitudes, and these these guys are having a recognition that yes, these are that this teaching is not just limited to this man here that we see teaching in front of us. This has come from God. You know, when he gave parables, it's like these guys, these guys are receiving this, they're drinking it in when many others didn't receive it. These guys are saying, this is truth, this is truth. And you can see it. You can see it culminate in places like John 6, where Jesus is watching all the guys walk. And he looks to, back to the others and he says, you guys want to go too? Well, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, they had received it. They recognized it. They, they had taken this in. He said, so look at, look at 7, verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. And what he's talking about is what did Jesus have given to him? All the works he did. He says that numerous times. The words he spoke, the miracles he did, the things that he did with his life, it's all came from the Father. And so these guys are watching him. They're watching him pray. They're watching him live his life. They're watching him go about doing good. They're watching him heal people. They're watching the miracles. They're what they're listening to his teaching. And you know what these guys are recognizing? They're recognizing that this came from God. This, this man that we see here, he's been sent from outside this world, and this is no ordinary man, and that God is with him, and God is working through him, and God is giving him words, and that, that's what it says. That's, I mean, this is precisely what's happening here. This is the true and living God is behind it all. Look at verse 8. I've given them the words that you gave me. They have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. Again, they received. Judas didn't receive. 
And you know what the scribes and the Pharisees, he went to the spiritual leaders. They didn't receive it. He stood before Pilate. Pilate didn't receive it. The Herodians didn't receive it. The Gentiles didn't receive it. Over, I mean, you, you have to think about it. Most others, they had ears to hear, but they couldn't hear. I mean, they had eyes, but they, they just couldn't see. But that wasn't the case with these guys. This little band of men, they not only heard, they received. The ones Jesus prays for. See, this, we're still on that. Who is Jesus praying for? Well, the ones Jesus prays for are men who know that Jesus was not on any personal vendetta. He was not on any personal initiative. He wasn't on any personal mission. This one was sent from outside the world by God the Father, the true and the living God that he says in verse 3. That's, that's who sent him. They know he came from God. They know that he did God's will. He was empowered by God. He did the works of God. He spoke the word. And he did. He spoke the words of God. Now he's going back to God. They believed all that. And notice verse six. This is one of the most incredible statements in this prayer. They have kept your word. Look at the end of verse six. Go all the way to the end. You see that they kept. Ah, oh, can you can you imagine this? Imagine it. I see Thomas is in my sight line. Imagine. Okay. Imagine the father and the son are communicating outside this door about Thomas. And we over and we lend a, an ear there. I mean, when God speaks to God about Thomas, what's he going to say? Well, Thomas had some sharp words for his wife this week. And, you know, if, if I was in his shoes, I mean... If you told me that they're out there talking about me, it's like, oh, I don't want you guys to hear what's going to be said. They might talk about my deepest thought life and all sorts of stuff, and this, this isn't going to be good. But then but then I go over, okay, you guys stay over there. And I go over there, and it's like I hear Jesus say to the Father, Tim's kept your word all week. Okay, you can all come back. You can listen now. It's like, no, that's the kind of thing you have to recognize. These guys are listening. Can you imagine? It's like Peter was not told uh, all too long ago about, I'm trying to think from the Synoptic Gospels where that fits in John's Gospel, but you know what he's told? Get thee behind me, Satan. It's like, oh, no, you know, Jesus is going to talk to the Father about me. And can you imagine if you're, it, you know, these guys, Jesus is doing this in front of them and they're hearing it. It's like they've kept your word. Can you imagine John and James looking at each other? It's like, hey, he called us sons of thunder. We want to call down lightning on these people and blow them apart. And now he's saying we've kept your word. Brethren, this is how God talks to God about his people. There's something that will blow you away about that. They have kept. Jesus doesn't criticize them. That's what I'd be expecting. He prays for them. He, you know what he does? He takes all their obedience as the whole. And you know what I find? It's the exact same thing I find in Hebrews chapter 11. When I look at Hebrews 11, I find I'm reminded of the same thing. Never. You know what? You know what's recorded there? What they did by faith. You know what's not recorded there? All their failures. I mean, it's, it's, this is what's happening here. He's they kept your word. They didn't discard it. They embraced it. They paid attention to it. And Jesus prays for them, for them. And despite all their failures, Jesus says their orientation to the word, they, they, it's, it's, they believe the word. They keep the word. They receive the word. And this is exactly how the Godhead views the people that Jesus prays for. Because, listen, this is really important because we have us a high priest. You have to think. Do you know what it means that we have a high priest that intercedes for us? It means this kind of conversation still is going on. And if this is how he talked about these guys then, you have to recognize that when you get down to verse 20, he says, look, I'm not praying just for these guys. I'm also praying for those who are going to believe in me through their word. This, these, this prayer is not just for these 11. This prayer is for all of us who, like them, have believed. I mean, this, that's, you can't get away from this reality. This, this is how God views his people. Only the positive is recalled. 
We have such a high priest. Oh, brethren, do you realize how he talks? He's sympathetic. He's understanding. He's loving. He's, and he's committing us to God, not mentioning the deficiencies and not mentioning the weaknesses and the faults and the failures. Now, brethren, if this doesn't get you at least a little stirred, that, that that's how God deals with us. Listen, brethren, this is really good news for people like you and me, that that's how God speaks about us. So, verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. I get that. Mine are yours, yours are mine. I mean, these men and women who are Christ are the fathers, and all who are the fathers are Christ. And why? Well, they're the fathers because we were his, and because he gives them, and so they belong to him. He would, he can't, you can't give what isn't yours. They're the sons because he receives them. Basically, do you recognize what we are? We are love gifts from the Father to the Son. When the Father gives them, you know what's interesting about when the Father gives them? I mean, you have this verse in John 10, my Father who has given them to me. You see that? The Father has already given them to the Son, and he's greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see what that's saying? Even when the Father gives me to the Son, I never come out of his hand. You know what the Father doesn't do? He doesn't give you away so that you're no longer His. He gives you to the Son in a way that you're still in the palm of His hand. So take courage in all of that. And notice this. I am glorified in them. You see that right there at the end? I am glorified even in all their weakness. When many walked away, the Jews rejected Him and the Romans. I mean, we know what they did to Him. Look at these guys stand for Him. I'm glorified in them. Why? How do you get glorified in somebody? Because these guys, these guys by their lives, these guys by their decisions, these guys by their words are owning Christ. You know what's been happening with these guys? These are the same guys that Jesus sent out two by two. You know what was happening with them as they were going out into this world? Well, they're, they're speaking of Christ. They're expressing his excellencies. You know what we see in this world? People more excited about football than they are about Christ more excited about houses and making money. But they're not these guys. I mean, can, brethren, can we lack enthusiasm and zeal when we got the world around us that's so in love with all of their idols? You know what? It's really good to remind us in moments of temptation that no matter what is happening, brethren, no matter what God puts us in, we're representatives of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, look, these guys have glorified me. I mean, that goes right hand in hand with they've kept my, they've kept your word. But, but there's this, that they've glorified me. I mean, it's just stunning statements. And God, look, God knows we need the Lord Jesus Christ's prayers in this area of our lives to glorify him, hold us up, keep us. But you know what these guys do? They go around in the world and they let the world know that Jesus is everything to them. That's how you glorify him. I mean, they glorified me. Well, how'd they do that? Well, they didn't run away when everybody else ran away. And they're willing to stand. And you know what? Peter was sincere. When Peter said, Lord, even if they all walk away, I won't. Well, he wasn't lying. Now, he didn't do it, but that wasn't because he didn't have resolve to do it. And even in the end, when the Lord says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He's saying, Lord, you know I do. Look, these guys were weak. And yes, these guys needed to fall and Satan sifted him. But the fact is, these guys loved Christ. They followed Christ. When many others fell back, when Judas fell away, they were there. And even though they were weak, they, and he's saying they've glorified me. Why? Because they stood for him. They, they confessed him. We glorify Christ by affirming that he's everything to us. We point others to that glory. He sends us into the world for this very purpose, folks. We glorify him by talking about him. Don't talk to people about church. Don't talk to people about stuff that doesn't include Christ. That's, that's not what you want to do. We want to emphasize that the Christian man can only be explained. We are only what we are because of what Christ has done. A, a Christian, folks, a Christian is a man or a woman or a child that is very living proof that Christ has accomplished what he came into this world to accomplish. And he's unleashed this power. I mean, we are the proof that he succeeded in the mission that he came to perform. Oh, you just think about these guys. 
Uh, what were they thinking? What do you think when you hear Jesus pray this way? What do you feel? I mean, it's just like when perfect love speaks with perfect love. It's like, can you even believe it? That the greatest, most close intimacies that God could have, that he would even take himself up with you and me? But that's exactly what we find. It's, it's, it's like we are in their conversation, our care, our, the concern for us, their communication. I mean, brethren, do you, you recognize this? That even when you have a bad day, there, there's this kind of intercession going on when you fall into sin. Okay, that's who he prays for. And not for anyone else. But what does he pray? Let's notice that. Because, because Jesus asks certain things for these people. And listen, you know verse 20. This is for you and me. And so, we just have to figure this. If you tell me you prayed for me, I will appreciate it immensely. Do I recognize that if you pray for me, there may be reasons why God won't hear you? Yeah, I, I recognize that. But if Jesus prays for me, you know what? It's absolutely certain. This, this was not recorded for us to make it doubtful as to whether answers to this prayer are going to come, come or not. There are requests here, and we want to notice what they are. What does God want for me? What does God want for you? You think he wants riches for you? You notice how I just ignore that sanctification comment? Well, you can't go there yet. That's that's like that far down the page, brother. But what what doesn't he want for us? What does he not what does Jesus not pray for for us? That we often want or make a priority. Comfort. He doesn't pray comfort for his people. He doesn't pray ease for his people. He doesn't pay for, you know, he doesn't pray for fame for us or that, you know, our bank accounts are overflowing. Um, what does the Son of God pray for? Well, let's listen in again. Pick it up in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Here's, here it comes. Holy Father, What's the next word? Keep. This is the heart and soul of what he prays for. That we be kept. Notice it. And the word's going to come up several times here. Keep them in your name. I know the KJV says through your name. But the, the preposition is E-N in the Greek. It's in. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them. Notice this. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have, now the ESV says guarded, but the KJV says kept. It's, it's. so there you, you have the idea again. I have kept them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And then you go down to verse 15. Look at 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you, and there's our word again, keep them from the evil one. And some translations say evil, um, but that, that can go both ways. And certainly it um, it's okay to take it either way. But um, keep them from the evil one. Keep. Jesus prays. Here's the thing. He's praying that we be kept from something. He's being, he's praying that we be kept in something. And I think you see that. Kept. Notice, keep them from the evil one. Keep them in your name. And really, out of all the requests, this is the first one. That ought to tell you something about the priority that this is with God. Brethren, are you conscious 
of your need to be kept. Whoa. There it is. Are you aware of the tremendous spiritual conflict in which we're involved? And that if there was not this kind of interaction in the Godhead to keep us and preserve us, we would be dashed against the rocks and make shipwreck in a moment. Oh, brother, we are up against enemies that are far superior to us. I hope you have a sense of that. It's the man who realizes his own weakness and the power of the devil who realizes his need for protection, folks. And notice where we are as we are kept. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world. They are in the world. Verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You notice that. They are in the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I have sent them into the world. You see, Jesus doesn't pray us out of the world. You know what he doesn't pray? That the moment we get saved, we'd all die. Our lives would be cut short. He doesn't pray that for us. Brethren, you know what he doesn't pray for us? That we would all find that little secluded place in Minnesota where Little House on the Prairie is and that we'd all pack up and move out there and develop our commune where we can be isolated from the world and we can all homeschool our kids unharassed. Now, brethren, this is important because you know what? There's, we're all kind of wired to want that place. I am. But that's not, that is not where he left us. And that's not where he wants us, is it? How do you see it here? Jesus doesn't pray us out of this world. Our Savior's not interested that we escape. Brethren, do you realize this? I mean, when you're thinking about where he wants to keep us, keep them. Where is it? Brethren, it's in the streets. It's in the factories. It's in the workplaces. It's in Tesco. It's in Costco. It's out here. He does not and never meant for his people to be extracted from the world. Do you recognize monasteries and convents and communes? Brethren, those are all the artifices of, of dead religion. That's all they are. God, you don't see the disciples. They never, you know what? They were scattered all over the place. Have not we been called to be lights of the world? The salt of the earth? Brother, what is going to happen? That doesn't happen. You're never going to influence the world when you're just tucked away in some corner somewhere. That's not it. Brother, what we have is, look what he says here. He says in verse 18, you sent me into the world. I've sent them into the world. I mean, first God sent his son into the world to where sinners are. And then what? Now Jesus sends his church full of the spirit to where they are. That's what we've got. We need to live impacting the world, influencing the world. Not in the cloister somewhere. Brethren, it's in the stores, it's in the universities, it's out there. I mean, look, what you don't want to do is you don't want to go into any kind of isolation. What, what Jesus is praying is this. See, sometimes we can think, oh, the only way we're going to be kept is if we escape from the world. Uh-uh. Jesus is saying, Father, I'm... You sent me into the world, now I'm sending them into the world. Not out of the world, not into some safe place, not into some sheltered harbor somewhere. I want them out there where I was. Where was he? Did he isolate himself? Now, look, I know he was only in a certain part of the world, and he didn't typically go to the Gentiles. But brethren, where Jesus was, he touched the people. He was out there in their midst. He was out there in their places of worship and out there in their marketplaces. And brethren, he, he did not isolate himself somewhere. He didn't try to get away and hide. No. You know what? He, he was always, guys, we got to move on. We got to go to the next city. I mean, it's time. We got to work to do. We got to work while it's day. I mean, this, this, is, this is what he's calling us to do. Notice verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. Now, brother, I would just want to remind you again, that John says in his first epistle, we know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Brethren, we need to recognize 
the world out there. See, this is, isn't it amazing? Jesus wants us in the world, and what's the world? The world is a stronghold of the devil, the God of the world. And yet he wants us to go out in the trenches. But that's exactly the environment where God says he's going to keep us. That's amazing. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Now, I think that's interesting that he says in your name and he calls the name of his father, Holy Father. Holy Father, keep them in that name. Keep them in your holiness. I was imagining this like I watched a documentary on all these fish that are way down in the depths that light up. You've probably seen those things. Just absolutely amazing. But you know, I'm imagining, like in the Mariana Trench, the ocean is seven miles deep. Can you imagine? You're just there. The world is like the ocean. And the Christians are plunged down three and a half miles deep. They're just surrounded by water on every side. It's just blackness. The light doesn't get down there. That's like the world. And yet, surrounding us is a bubble. It's this bubble of keep them in. That bubble is like in his name. There's this place of safety, a place of protection. It's just keep them there. And yes, Sonny, here's that word, verse 17. How are we kept? How are we kept in the holy name of the Father? Through this sanctification. This, this process, there's a progress, sanctify. And we know that the word sanctify in the New Testament has the idea of to cut, to set aside, to consecrate. And there is the idea of holiness. There is the idea of purity that's carried in the word. Purity, a devotedness, a singleness. That's, that's what goes behind purity. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you see the word again. In verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself. And that's the word actually, sanctify. I think the KJV says so. Maybe I'm wrong there, but um, it's the same word. Consecrate. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So I ask you this, what does the Lord want for his people? What does Jesus pray for his people? Sanctification, that they be set apart, that they be consecrated, that they be pure, that they be holy. You see, you see what happens? The devil hates that. He wants unholy. He wants sinful. He wants antichrist. He wants people to spit in the face. And God leaves us out there in the middle of that devil-controlled world. That's where he wants us. That's where Jesus was. That's where he leaves us. And the Son prays to the Father that these people that you've given me, I'm committing them to you because I'm leaving them here in the world and I don't want to take them out of the world because these are the guys that are going to be the lights of the world. And that's us today. And Jesus' prayer is that we would be kept holy in the midst of that. And so that's clearly what you see. Kept pure by God. And this is what Jesus prays for among the world, but all the time we're different from the world. Father, keep them from being like the other people out there. Isn't that it? We can go out to the city center. We can go door to door to people. We can talk to our neighbor. We can talk to people that are walking down the street outside. And the thing is, we're not like them. And something's been manifested to us, and we've received certain words that they haven't. But you know what? We can go to them. We can influence them. And what Jesus is praying is that we will not take their ways. We will not become like them, which, by the way, is like we used to be before we were saved. We know, we know what that's like. And so what he's praying for is that we not become like the people we're trying to reach, nor become like we used to be. We're being protected from that. Sanctification. That's the idea. And notice this. Verse 11. Notice the end there. That they may be one, even as we are one. Now, some people use John 17 to really focus on unity. And so they say, well, we should be ecumenical. Oh, you know, we are too narrow and we cut off other people that we should really have fellowship with. Brethren, 
you have to take this in context. This is no call to be ecumenical. This is no call to drop your discernment out the door. Do you know what he's praying here? Unity means one. One is the Father and the Son are one. How are the Father and Son one? Well, they had the same purpose. The works that Jesus did were works of the Father. The words that Jesus spoke were the words of the Father. That's what he's saying here. And what he wants for them is that they be in the world. So you know what he wants for us? You know what unity he wants? That we're all one in that we stay in the world. He wants us all one in that while in the world, we don't become like the world. He wants us all one in that we're being sanctified. There's purity and there's holiness. And we're being kept in that. That's, that's what all kept from the evil one. That's, that's the call here. This is a call for a church that's unified. Brethren, do you recognize that what is being prayed for here? Do you recognize that a holy and a pure church let loose in this world? That you've got God with us, the Son praying for us, that we be kept in the midst of that. What's the devil going to do when God our Father unleashes that kind of protecting power upon his people? The devil can't burst that bubble. And so that's that's what we're looking at. And so, uh, you know, the, the thing is that, that the way the world is, God hates that. And we're supposed to hate that. We, we need to hate the world. We don't want to become like the world. And But the thing is, we don't hate the people in the world. We just hate the system. We hate the mindset. We hate the, the, the mentality. And that's what we're supposed to be kept from, that evil, not governed by that mindset. Oh, there's such worldviews out there today. The outlook, the desires, the pleasures, the, the, just the ambitions of the world. And brethren, the thing is, we come out of this unity when we break rank, either by becoming impure or by withdrawing from the world. That's the context of the unity that's being called for here. And you don't want to stretch it, make it into all sorts of other things. Now, that, I mean, it could be good that we be unified in, in doctrine. I mean, because clearly we're being sanctified by the word. I mean, we want to it needs to be that word. There needs to be unity there. We need to be looking to the same book. But you recognize it's sin and ungodliness. It's withdrawing from the world that really wrenches us out of the unity that's being set forth here. And then look at verse 14. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And you see that? Hated them. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the I mean, we're in this storm. And in this storm, what's happening? Well, we're following Christ. We're basically following him. He walked this path. He used to be in the world. The world hated him. Now we're the ones. He's leaving the world. We're the ones now in the world. We're going to go forth with the same truth that he had, that he received from his father. And we're going to go out there and we're, he's praying to the father that we be kept pure in all of this. And so we're following Christ. He never belonged here. And now we no longer belong here. And we're to become like him who is so immune to it all. Don't you just love it that Jesus was so immune to the world that he could go in and gladly sit down and have a meal with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you love that? And not be defiled. But see, that's exactly what we're being called to do. Brethren, you can go sit down at that same table. And now, look, you don't want to be foolish. You don't want, listen. There are places to avoid in this world. There are places that are unnecessary for you to expose yourself to, that it would be foolish for you to expose yourself to. But trying to reach people like Jesus tried to reach people, look at verse 16. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 13, now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Huh. That's part of the package. All these things Jesus is praying for, Jesus wants his people ecstatic and happy and rejoicing and celebrating and praising. Do you like the word fulfilled? Full, filled. I mean, that's, you just think of a vessel. Remember the woman that had the, the vessel of oil and Elijah wanted to help, Eli, Elisha, was it? Wanted to help her out. You remember that story? And he said, uh, go get, other vessels, not a few. 
And, and what happened? As long as her son was able to continue to bring those vessels, they got filled to the top, filled to the top, filled to the top. I mean, do you recognize what this is? Father, I want them to be fulfilled in joy. You know what he's recognizing? God is the great supplier of joy. And, and it's like that woman, just, we have all these empty vessels. Brethren, I mean, this, this one's this is a bad example. I got too much left in it. Most of it went out there. But imagine this. That, that, that just seals the imagery, right? But it's, but it's like, you know what this is to be full and to be full, filled. And it's like, that's what he wants. He wants our joy fulfilled. It's like, it's like God has this great big uh, pitcher that he pours joy out of. And we're all like empty cups. And it's like Jesus is saying, I see their cups are empty. Father, fill them all up. And it's the kind of picture that you have here. Fulfill. And what, brethren, but you recognize when we fall out of the world, when we draw back from the world, or we fall into impurity and become too much like the world, then what happens to our joy? Out the window it goes. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives joy, right? He's holy. And when there's corruption and when, we're, when we resist sanctification, I mean, what, how does the Scripture speak? Do not love the world. Pure and undefiled religion, well, we talk about the, the widow and the orphan on a regular basis, but keep oneself unstained from the world. Friendship with the world, we know what it is, the enmity against God. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't love the world. The moment our fellowship with God is broken, what happens? We become miserable. And, and you know what? When we seek our joy out there in the world, you see, we want to go in the world, but not seek our joy in the world. Our, we go in the world. We seek to be pure in the world. We seek to reach the world with the message of the God who sends us into that world. But while we're out there, we want to seek our joy from him, not from the world. He's the one that fills the cup, which my cup is now empty. Now it is. Anyways, that, that cemented that whole illustration for you. But here, we're, we're almost done, folks. I got seven minutes. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Ah, oh, so you, it means sanctification. I don't think we need to spend too much time on the fact that this is a process. But, Father, keep them from evil. Keep them away from that. And what? Move them in another direction toward more and more holiness. Sanctification is that work of God whereby the whole man is being renewed. And you ought to be able to think of it of a verse that talks about the world and talks about not being like the world and belonging to the world and rather than that being renewed, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Basically, that's what happens. It's sanctification. It's renewal, renewal, renewal. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. What our, our bodies, our minds, our souls, our understanding, it's all being renewed. That's the object of sanctification. And this is what Jesus is praying. And I just ask you this. Can Jesus be denied? He can't be denied. And the thing, the thing that we don't want to lose here is what the means is. The means of the sanctification is truth. Your word is truth. So guess what? The way you're going to go out into the world, not be contaminated by the world, get your joy from God, not your joy from the world, is to have the word of God with you in that bubble out there in the middle of this ocean. Because if you don't live close to the Word of God, then you're not going to have the sanctification because the sanctification is directly tied to the Word of God. Brethren, if you are not in this Word every day and probably multiple times a day, then don't expect that you're going to have the joy. Don't expect that you're going to have the effect on the world. Don't expect that you're going to stay pure while being in the world. Don't expect those things. Why? Because the sanctification is tied to this book. Man does not live by bread alone. He lives by the words that come out of this book. This is transformative. There is something supernatural about this book. I mean, the, the Spirit of God empowers it. We recognize that. It's the power of God when the Spirit, it takes God Himself. Listen, lots of people read it and it's a dead letter. There's nothing magic in the words printed on this page. But the truths in it, when they come out, men save people as they process the truths of this book, something happens. And it doesn't leave us the same. It makes us more like Christ. 
It changes us, makes us more holy. Brethren, the early church, we know what they did. Folks, no Christian can live the Christian life apart from the Bible. It's got to be the center of the Christian life, center of Christian thinking. And when you look at Acts 2, we know what the early church did. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, and we know the other things, that they, that basically the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. But they devoted themselves to the apostles. What you have to ask yourself is this. I know you come and hear a sermon on Sunday because you're here doing it. But let me ask you, does the rest of your week reflect that reality? Are you devoted to the Word of God? What does that mean? I mean, look, if a man's devoted to his wife, you know what that means. Are you devoted to the Word of God? That's what they did in the early church. This means that above all others, God uses the Bible to change people. This is so critical. So, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. Now, that's, that's key. I've sent them. Brethren, you, you, you know what? You know what that tells us? He sent us right where we are. This, this is September 2023, the hottest week of the year. We're all feeling it right now. And you know what? You know where, where do we live? What's the time? What's our government like? What's the school system like? What's the lay of the land? What is the present thinking about gender? What is the present thinking about woke? What is the present thinking about right and wrong? What is the present thinking in this world about truth? You know what? It is no accident. You see what's being said here? I sent them. We are here at this time for this hour, just like Esther was in her day. She was raised up for that hour. We are raised up for this hour. We have been sent to this time in this place at this hour to be where we are in a world that is just like it is. We have been sent here at a time when Oldham is being overtaken by Islam. We have been sent here right now and we can go to the city center and basically see a bazillion homosexuals. We have been raised up for this hour. You know what? In the 1920s, it wouldn't have been like that. It would have been different. It would have been something else. This is, this is the hour to which we have been sent. Corrupt politicians, anti-God policies in the schools. I mean, evolution on every side. And you know what? <clears throat> you know what this is saying? Is he sent us somewhere, and he wants us sanctified right in that place that he sent us. This, none of this has caught him by surprise. This is exactly where he wants you at this hour, at this time, and it's right there that he intends to sanctify you and that Jesus is praying that you will be sanctified. There's nothing, there's nothing unusual here, folks. We can always think, oh, well, if we lived at that time and oh, how glorious it would have been that time of revival and then this would have happened and that would have happened. But folks, I'll tell you this. There, there's a great world out there and there's this group of sanctified Christian people that are sent to touch this world, be lights in this world, be salt in this world, to evangelize this world. And you know what? The church is really experiencing this unity that's prayed for when she's enjoying all these realities. And I say enjoying because he wants our joy to be full, full. And so he says this, Verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may be sanctified in truth. Well, that, that's key too, because it means that not only is the Bible instrumental, but also Jesus consecrated himself. This, this is the basis of our sanctification. Jesus basically saying, I sanctified myself for their sake. And he's saying, I set myself apart, especially for the work of God, and undoubtedly culminated in the cross. He's entirely offered himself to God for for God's glory, for God's purposes. He's laying it, you see what it's saying. What does consecrated mean? I mean, when you had vessels in the temple and they were consecrated, I mean, they were put aside for the most special use. Jesus' life, Jesus' being, Jesus' self, his person is being set aside for the most special reason of all, to make atonement for our sins. And he's laying his whole self on the altar for our sakes, pure, blameless, spotless. And so, brethren, here we are, we're at the end. 
All I'll say is this, just in saying, we're listening in on this prayer into the very inner counsels of God. And this is how they communicate with each other. This is what they talk about. Talk about Christians. They talk about their people and how much they care and how much they long for us to be kept. And we realize from these verses what God wants for us. He wants our sanctification. He wants us to be holy, pure. And what we need to remember is Jesus cannot be denied. I can bank on these things coming true. This prayer can never be turned down. And you, you can see the implications of that. Must, what must happen to you for you to be overwhelmed by the devil? I mean, brethren, we can go into the dark places in this world with the light of God. We can go out there and we can, we can have an expectation. He's prayed for us. You know what I expect from this? Sanctification that will be kept. That's what I expect. And the way to all of this is the Word. It depends on the fact that He set Himself aside. This is, the, this is where our unity, it's all these things. This is where our unity needs to rest. And that's what He's praying for. And He, we're going to first verse next week, that's just praying for them. He's praying for all those that believe in the apostles' doctrine. And that's us. This prayer is good. You can imagine as he intercedes for us, even at this hour, what he's asking for us. It's going to be in the same vein of thought that this is. This is what he cares about. Brethren, may God keep us. May God keep us right in the midst of this dark nearing. Father, we pray that it would be so. We pray that you would hear the prayer of your Son and that it would be sealed and certain right here with us, with this church in our generation, in the darkness of the world that we're surrounded with. Keep us from the evil one. Keep us from the evil. Keep sanctifying us. Keep us close to the Word. Keep us, Lord, light in this world. Keep us unified. Keep us fulfilled with joy. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.